take our lives. They're all for you, Jesus. You gave your life for us. And so we pray all of this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're in a series entitled Questions by Jesus, and I want to continue it a few more weeks. I know we've had a few weeks off with our guest speakers, but the first question that we asked, that Jesus asked, was, who do you say that I am? The most important question you will ever have to answer in your life. I might be a little bit too loud in my mic, Jeremiah, just a little bit down. The most important question you'll ever have to answer in your life. Who do you say Jesus is? Because the answer to that question will change your eternity. So please get it right that you know that Jesus Christ was God in flesh, that he died on the cross for your sins, and you know that. Second question was this, do you want to be healed? Do you want God to change you? So many people get stuck in their bad habits and uh, their, their sin, and they don't want to change. Do you want to be healed? God wants to heal us, wants to make us more like him each and every day. Here's the third question. It was this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Great question, amen? Why do we call Jesus Lord, but don't do what he says? We do our own thing. We have our own agenda. We live our own lives. Jesus is not at the controls. Fourth question was this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was a question that Jesus asked on the cross exactly and it gives us great insight as to exactly what happened at the cross Jesus took our place he became sin for us he wasn't a sinner he became sin that's why we say sin was nailed to the cross with Jesus the moment you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ your sins were nailed to the cross with Jesus you were given the free gift of eternal life and forgiveness the greatest transaction you will ever make in your life Jesus asks, why my God my God why have you forsaken me and today the question is this why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but do not notice the plank in your own eye it's a powerful question and the passage that we're going to look at deals with a topic that's very relevant today to believers because it is one of the most misinterpreted misapplied passages in all of God's word the bottom line of our message today is this Jesus calls his followers to reject negative condemning attitudes that usurp God's role as the final judge we are instead to seek ways to be more like Christ-like ourselves as we encourage others to do the same. That's the passage that we're looking at today. I'd like you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. This passage is part of the greatest sermon ever given on planet Earth, the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus. If you read it, there are parts of it that will touch your heart and challenge you. And Matthew 7 is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 1 is a very familiar verse. In fact, it's been said that John 3.16 used to be the most quoted verse in the Bible. What's John 3.16? Everybody? For God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But now people say this. The most quoted verse in all of the Bible is this one. Matthew 7.1. Judge not that you be not judged. That, that verse is thrown around quite a bit. And it's probably one of the most misapplied verses in the Bible. But Jesus goes on and says this. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Paul addresses the same issue in the book of Romans. Because people are saying, well, hey, don't say I fall short of God's standard. I don't believe in God and I don't believe in the Bible. And Paul in essence says, well then let's measure you according to your standard. What you don't like to see in others, you do yourself. What you don't like to see others do, you've done. So by your own standard, you fall. By your own standard, you're a sinner. Then Jesus goes on and says this, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log or plank that is in your own eye. 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So bottom line, the, the, the basis of this passage is all about not having a condemning attitude towards others. This verse is a very quoted verse, as I mentioned already. In fact, very misinterpreted, misapplied, even by believers. I've had believers come to me when I uh, teach on the error of certain doctrines that are out there about Jesus that are false doctrines, and they'll come to me and they say, Oh, Mel, Matthew 7, 1. Don't judge lest you be judged. You, that sounds so judgmental to say that their teaching about Jesus is wrong. That is not what this verse is talking about. All throughout Scripture, Jesus warns us to beware of false teachers and prophets. All throughout Scripture, we're told to take a stand for the truth, to make discerning judgments. This is right, this is wrong. This is true, this is false. That's told to us throughout the Bible. So this is not obviously what Jesus is talking about here. In fact, the world takes this verse as they quote it in your face, and basically they will say, you have no right to make a call as to the actions and beliefs of others. But you know, ultimately it's not us making the call. It's Jesus making the call and the Word of God. It's what Jesus taught us that tells us that's wrong, that's right. Because Jesus is the ultimate authoritative source of truth in our lives. He's the source of truth. And if we want to know what's right and wrong, we don't have to worry about going to some human who will die and stay dead and has his or her own opinion because they mean nothing, believe me. My wife and I were out on a date uh, the other night after coming back from Germany. And it's like the first time alone we'd had in a long time. And we sat down at this little table, and right next to us, a young man sat down all by himself. And we kind of struck up a conversation. And uh, I said, oh, man, where are you from? And he said, oh, I'm from Ohio, came out to California. And I'm like, oh, what are you doing? I'm doing this marketing thing, starting my own company. And I'm like, great, that sounds great. And, and then I said to him, uh, oh, you know, he asked me, what, are you, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And I said to him, love for you to come to church and join us. And uh, he said, well, I used to be a churchgoer, but now I believe kind of something a little bit different. I said, what do you believe? And he said, well, what I do is I take a little bit from this religion, a little bit from that, and a little bit from this, and a little bit from that. And I have my own belief system. So what do you think I told him? I told him, wow, that is so smart. That, so, I wish I had thought of that. Man, that's so good. No, of course not. Well, what I told him was this. I said, you know, that is your opinion. And I said, wow, you know, you've obviously spent some time thinking about this. That's your opinion. But the reality is it's in contradiction to the opinion of Jesus. And the difference between you and me and Jesus is that Jesus is going to die and rise again. That's exactly what he did 2,000 years ago. You and I, we will die and stay dead. So our opinions have no authority. And I told him, I, I just believe with all my heart it's a really bad idea to believe something that's in contradiction to the one person in human history that died and rose again. He, his words have authority. We had a great conversation, but that's what the world tells us about Matthew 7.1. You have no right to tell anybody that what they believe is wrong. I'm sure you're like me. I've had neighbors that believe differently than I do. And we've had great, loving, never yelling at one another, discussions about what we believe. They've told me, Mel, I believe you're wrong. I've told them I believe what you believe is wrong. That's what should be happening. But today, you hear Matthew 7, 1 quoted, and the implication is, hey, Mel, you have no right to tell anybody that what they believe is wrong or that their actions are wrong. Keep it to yourself, which obviously they're telling me that what I'm doing is wrong, right? They're, they're making a judgment about me. That's not what the Bible's saying here. 
See, the priorities of Christ are so important to understand as believers, and we need to know this. We need to stop as believers taking Matthew 7, 1 and think, I can't make any judgment about anybody's beliefs or anybody's actions in my heart. That is not what the Bible is saying. See, the priorities of Christ are these. Truth over lies. Truth over lies. All around you, there are lies being disseminated into our world and into our culture. God came, Jesus came to bring truth over lies. Here's another beautiful part of the message of Jesus. Grace over condemnation. Jesus said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be what? Saved, exactly. Grace over condemnation. Here's another priority of Jesus in his message. Love over hate. Love over hate. For God so loved the world, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love over hate. And my prayer would be and my hope would be everyone here would know that every time somebody walks into the church, every time somebody encounters you in the path of your life, that they would see God's love over hate in your life that they would see God's amazing, unconditional love. See, in Matthew 7, 1, Jesus, is, in essence, is saying, how can you have a condemning judgment of others if God's love is in your heart? Judge not in that way, that you be not judged. Here's another priority of Christ. Forgiveness over revenge. Isn't that the beauty of the gospel message? That you don't have to be a person worried about, hey, do my good works outweigh my bad? And if they do, then hopefully I'll get into heaven. I just pray my good works outweigh my bad. But we know that's not what the Bible says about salvation. The Bible tells us this, that when you hear the message of Jesus and his death on the cross for you, that he subbed in for you, he took your place, that by faith you believe it, you believe he died in your place and you reach out and receive this free gift that God is offering you, the gift of eternal life and forgiveness paid for by the death of Jesus on the cross. That is the heart of the gospel message. People want to silence it. People want to change it. That's the clear message of God's word. When we were in Germany, we took a trip to Berlin to go to the city. Berlin's a great city. But as you know, it was a city divided for many years. After World War II, the, the city was divided. Eventually, a wall was built. East Germany was the communist, atheistic side. West Germany was uh, the west side, freedom on the west. And a wall was built by the communists to keep the people inside of East Berlin. And in the 60s, they built a large TV tower in East Berlin, the communist side. The, the tower was built to be an illustration by the communists of the superiority of the communist system. The, the advancement technologically of the communists in East Germany. And they built this tower, the, it's still to this day, the tallest structure in Germany. And it was to be a reminder of the constant superiority of communism and atheism over the West. But when the tower was built, and we saw it again, and, and I, I was just amazed when I saw the tower. When the tower was built, to the chagrin of the communists, every time the sun hit the tower, a cross could be seen on the tower. A cross was there over the city of Berlin. In fact, all the people of Berlin, uh, tongue-in-cheek, referred to it as the Pope's Revenge. Don't you love that? The Pope's Revenge against communism. Honecker, the leader of East Germany, uh, had people go up there and, and try to paint over it, to buff it out, so there wouldn't be that reflection. But as hard as they tried, the reflection remains to this day. And to me, it's just an encouragement of the power of the cross, the message of the cross, that we cannot allow it to be silenced. We cannot allow the world to change it. It's such a beautiful message authored by God himself of how much he loves us. And in light of that, how we're to live on this planet, not in a condemning, hateful way, 
by judging others with a judgmental spirit. And that leads me to the first point of this message. It's this. Reject a critical, condemning spirit towards others. Reject a critical, condemning spirit towards others. Don't let that be a character of your life. Reject that. In fact, if we don't do that, in my opinion, that's faithless living. You know, Jesus and the Word of God says, when we're talking about being hurt and wanting revenge, God says, don't take revenge. Don't take vengeance against someone. God said, vengeance is what? Mine, I will repay, says God. So when I'm hurt and when I'm wronged and when I want to be vengeful, I'm to live by faith and say, God is a much better justice maker than I am. I will trust God. I will live a faith-filled life. If we're condemning others and looking down at others and hating others and, and making judgments against others with a critical spirit, we're living a faithless life. We're not trusting God. See, that's what Jesus meant when he said, judge not that you be not judged. The Greek word here for judge is a very basic word in the Greek, krino. It simply means to analyze, to evaluate, as to form an opinion. That's what judge means. It's very simple. So you have to look at the context of God's word to really understand what he's saying. In fact, if you look at a parallel passage in Luke chapter 6, it makes it real clear what Jesus is saying. It says this, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. See, what God does not want to see in our lives is a condemning, hateful spirit. In fact, John chapter 7 tells us to make judgments. It says this, Judge not according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. It's telling us to make discerning judgment. Don't make a shallow judgment based on appearance. Go deeper. Make a right judgment. So what God is encouraging us throughout his word is to make discerning judgments every day of our lives as believers. I define discerning judgment as this, to objectively evaluate actions or attitudes based on biblical standards of conduct and morality and make personal decisions as a result of those evaluations. You take the word of God and you use it as this powerful lens through which you see the entire world through which you make decisions about moral issues using the Word of God. The last thing you do is say, well, I'm going to make moral decisions based on the opinion of others, based on popularity polls. That's not what you do. As a follower of Jesus, the Bible becomes this powerful lens by which you see the entire world and every moral issue you face in your life. What Jesus is against here in Matthew 7 is this, a condemning judgment, forming a hateful, negative, critical, often self-righteous opinion about someone because of a person's belief, because it does not measure up to your personal belief and often a biblical standard that you hold. See, we're not to condemn others who believe differently than us. We're not to hate them. In fact, if we know what the Word of God says, we know clearly that every person who rejects Christ is deceived. They're a victim of the evil one. They're victims of deception. And therefore, we're to see them in the same way God sees them, with an unconditional love and in need of the powerful gospel message that Jesus brought to the earth. And it is amazing. I like what one author said. He said this, By comparing Scripture with Scripture, we know that God wants his people to exercise careful discernment and to use judgment in all areas of life. In fact, I like what John MacArthur, a well-known pastor in Los Angeles, said. He said, the thing the church lacks the most today is discerning judgment. Judgment informed by the word of God that says, this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad, this is a good path, this is a wrong path. We're to do that every day. In fact, Philippians 1.9 states, and this I pray, that your love may abound. I love that God put that phrase in there because every time we make a judgment, we always make it in what? In love. It's always in love. 
that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. There it is, right? That you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. My daughter Capri, my young daughter Capri, 10 years old, is learning the multiplication table. And I was working on it with her yesterday. We bought these flashcards, you know, very expensive flashcards to help our daughter learn multiplication. And on one side is the question, what's three times four? The other side is the answer, right? And so I was going over them with my daughter, and I love my daughter Capri. And when I asked her, what's three times four? And she said, ten. And I said, oh, Capri, I love you so much. Good answer. Thank you. Now, what's three times five? Twelve? Oh, Capri, I love you so much. Exactly. Good answer. I love you so much. Am I being a good dad? Absolutely not. I am failing as a dad if I do that. If I ask what's three times four and she says ten and I say, oh, I love you so much, I can't correct you, good answer. The most loving thing I can tell my daughter is this. No, three times four is not ten. It's thirteen, Capri, thirteen. That's what the answer is. No, of course, every loving parent knows that if you love your child, you will correct your child. And you do it in love. That's exactly what our Heavenly Father does each and every day as the gospel message is spread throughout the world. Love you, world. But so often you're living in sin and rebellion against me. Love you too much to leave you there. See, as increase, there's an increasing number of issues, actions, and events that call for discerning judgment. We see that every day, don't we? Every day, there's an increasing number of issues that face our country, actions that we face every day, events that happen around the world that call for believers to make discerning judgments based on wisdom from the Word of God. I want you to know that is the heart of our church, that we would take this amazing book that Jesus wrote as the Logos of God and apply it to our lives. I hope you hold it with that kind of reverence in your heart. The awesome Word of God. Nothing compares to it. And it gives us an amazing plan for our lives. And every day we're called to make discerning judgments in our lives. So what is Jesus talking about here when he uses the word judge? In context, it means not to criticize and condemn in a hyper-judgmental way. This kind of lifestyle is destructive. Fault-finding, it, it's being picky with others. It's the habit of all this criticism against others. And it basically points to a mean, critical spirit that sees only the bad in others. And that brings us to the question here in Matthew 7. Jesus says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but don't see the log in your own? I've had people say to me, well, that speck in the brother's eye, probably the same size as the speck in your eye, but it looks as big as a log. That could be. But Jesus is certainly saying this, why are you so harsh on the sins of others and so patient with your own sin? when it should be just the opposite. Be patient and loving about the sins of others, hoping they will come around to see the truth of God's word and harsh with the sin in your life. Jesus said, take out the log in your eye so that you can more clearly see and take the speck out of your brother's eye. What do we see more clearly? Hey, if we're honest with ourselves and about our sin in our lives, what we see more clearly is how gracious God is to us how gracious God is to us, which makes us more gracious with others. What do we see more clearly? How much forgiveness we've received from God, which makes us more forgiving with others. What do we see more clearly? Our own sins so we can be more humble with others. Now, Jesus doesn't say, hey, take the, the log out of your eye and walk away from the brother and leave him with a speck in his. He doesn't say that. He still says, then go help take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
Then help your brother or sister grow in their walk with God. And reject a negative, condemning, fault-finding attitude which condemns people, which minimizes the grace of God. See, that happens doctrinally. We need to take a stand against false doctrine. Uh, get, I can give you a ton of verses. We don't have time, but I'll give you one. Galatians 1.8. Paul writes this, but even if we or an angel from heaven, think about it, an angel of heaven came to you, you would think, wow, this is an authoritative message. I better listen. Paul says this, if that angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be what? Accursed. Tough language, Paul. But what Paul is saying is use discerning judgment. Every message that comes to you, does it fit the word of God or not? Believers, use discerning judgment. Our mode of operation is clear from the word of God as well. When we do that, the Bible says this in Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in, in love. My prayer would be everyone that comes into Riverview Church would hear this, the truth spoken in love. That they would know that like my correction of my daughter when she's doing the multiplication tables, no, three times four is not ten. Capri, three times four. Try it again. Yeah, it's 12. All right, let's review again. It's 12. And every time someone comes into Riverview Church, they hear a message of love. A God that loves them. But a God that loves them so much that he wants them to leave the sin that's destroying them. The lifestyle that's destroying them. And find the joy of knowing God and his plan for their lives. Here's another uh, verse that talks about lifestyle error. Paul's talking about a sin that's in the church in Corinth. He says, for though absent in the body, I'm not there in Corinth with you. I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced what? Judgment on the one who did such a thing. Paul says, hey, church, you need to stand up against the sin. You can't let this sin happen in the church as if it's not happening. You love that brother or sister enough to take a stand, just like the mom or dad who corrects a son or daughter at the multiplication tables. You love them too much to leave them in their sin. It's always done in love. It's always done with the goal of restoration. Here's another verse, Luke 17, 3. Pay attention to yourselves, Jesus says. If your brother sins, rebuke him. You got to make a discerning call. Wait, wait, that's wrong. And I would expect that of any of you here at this church. If you see something in my life that's not right, an attitude or action that doesn't match the word of God, that in love you would come and say, hey, pastor, hey, that doesn't match the word of God. And I would encourage you to change. I would encourage you to change and get in line with the teachings of God's word. I need that from you. If you love me, I would need that from you. That's what a church should be doing as we grow up and become more and more like Jesus Christ. Another verse, 1 Corinthians 6, 5 says this, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? What Paul is talking about was the church taking its problems to a secular court. There's a problem between two people in the church and the church can't solve it and they take it to a secular court. Paul says, there's got to be somebody in the church who can make a judgment about that according to the word of God. You're going to go to a court that doesn't honor the word of God? So the bottom line, Matthew 7, the bottom line of the question Jesus asks is this, don't unlovingly condemn others. Why? Let me give you some reasons. Because you don't know all the facts. You don't know all the facts. You're not to be the final judge. That role is only with God. Here's the next thing. Because we all fail at times. We all fail at times. My wife works for American Airlines, and we received a publication to all its employees about some things that were happening in the company. And in the publication, there was a poem about something that actually happened in an airport. It's a true story. And a woman took that true story and made it into a poem. And it's all about a woman who had a long layover in an airport, and she bought a bag of cookies. Let me read it to you what happened. This true story in the airport. A woman was waiting at an airport one night with several long hours before her flight. 
She hunted for a book at the airport shop and bought a bag of cookies and found a place to drop. She was engrossed in her book, but happened to see that the man sitting beside her, as bold as could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag in between, which she tried to ignore to avoid a scene. She munched the cookies and watched the clock as the gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking, if I wasn't so nice, I'd blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too. When only one was left, she wondered what he'd do. With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half. He offered her half, and he ate the other. She snatched it from him and thought, Oh, brother, this guy has some nerve, and he's also rude. Why, he didn't even show any gratitude. She had never known. She had never known when her, she had been so galled and sighed with relief when her flight was called. She gathered her belongings and headed to the gate, refusing to look back at the thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane and sank in her seat. Then she bought a book. Then she brought out her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her baggage, she gasped with surprise. There was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. If mine are here, she moaned in despair, then the others were his. And he tried to share. Too late to apologize. She realized with grief that she was the rude one, the ingrate, the thief. Don't you love that? I could see that happening to me. I, that could happen to me. She judged and condemned that guy without knowing all the facts. He was the one graciously sharing with her. But she'd already judged him. She'd already judged him. I'm reminded of the story of H.A. Ironside, a famous preacher. He was on a cruise ship to America. And he found out when he got on the ship that he was sharing his stateroom with another passenger. And right away, he didn't feel comfortable with his passenger. And, and, and took his belongings, his valuables, and brought them to the office of the ship and said, hey, uh, would you take my valuables and put them in your safe? I'm not comfortable with the man in my stateroom. And the man, the officer in the ship, took the belongings, put them in the safe, and said to the preacher, Harry Ironside, uh, by the way, we just want you to know, your fellow stateroom guest, he was just here putting his belongings in the safe as well. You know, the tendency to judge and look down on others is all within us, right? But we don't have all the facts. We don't know the content, and that's my next point, of the heart of the other person. Why shouldn't we unlovingly condemn? Because when you do, you usurp, usurp the authority and role of God as final judge. And then lastly, why not lovingly, unlovingly condemn? Because when you do that, you misrepresent the God that you are following. You misrepresent the God that you're following. Riverview Church is a church that loves to welcome anyone seeking to know more about Jesus. Anyone that desires to find out more about this amazing God that created them and loved them all the way to the cross because that represents the heart of our God. That represents the heart of Jesus. And if we are not able to accurately discern whether people's clearly sinful actions are in accordance with God's righteousness or not, then we're spiritual toddlers. We need to get into the Word of God and start to know and, and allow the Word of God to richly dwell within us so we can make those discerning judgments every day of our lives in love. So often, permission to use discerning judgment can be seen as license to condemn someone. Just the opposite. Permission to use discerning judgment does not equate with a license to condemn. But we should always speak the truth in love to each other. Ephesians 4 says this, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. He gives an example. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. 
Hey, let me quickly go through point number two. Prioritize self-evaluation over condemning others and do it in godly humility. Do it in godly humility. If you don't do that, Jesus calls it in Matthew 7, in the text here, he calls it hypocrisy. He says, you hypocrite. How could you try to take the speck out of your brother's eye when there's a log in your own? That's the point of the question. Then he says, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot. What he's saying is, you have to make a judgment even in sharing the gospel. When you share the gospel, if you, you're like me. There have been people who have outright rejected it. They're angry. They don't want to hear anymore. They're not ripe for the gospel. They're green apples, if you will, not red ripe apples. And you move on and pray that God would somehow soften their hearts. But you move on to someone who's more receptive. That's the judgment Jesus is telling us to make here. And then lastly, this. Seek to encourage and correct one another in a spirit of humility and love. May we be a church like that. That in humility and love, we're encouraging and building up one another. That we encourage one another. If not, if we don't do that, it's spiritual irresponsibility. We're not following the word of God. I was in Germany and sitting in a bench in my wife's city. It's a beautiful city. Uh, it wasn't heavily bombed in either world war. And so many of the buildings from the 1300s and 1400s are still standing. It's, it's an old city in Germany, that German Fockwerk and a castle right there. And they've actually closed off the center of the city to car traffic. It's a walking mall, cobblestone streets. And as I was sitting there, I noticed the dad with his cute little daughter in, in what looked like a new dress. And the daughter was running down the cobblestone streets in the walking mall and just kind of not paying attention to what's happening. She's just going like this ahead of her dad. And her dad is saying hi to people as they're walking by. There's kind of a festival going on in the city. The problem was at the end of that cobblestone street that was closed off, it leads right into a normal street where cars are going by at 40 miles an hour. And the dad was saying hi and just uh, noticing his daughter ahead, and he said, stop, Sylvia, because he saw the street ahead. And the daughter kept going and running down this, towards the street, all happy, having a good time. And, and I saw the dad begin to have a concerned look on his face, and he said a little louder, stop, Sylvia. And, and soon this dad that had a wonderful walk in the city on that Sunday afternoon, was sprinting, yelling, Stop, Sylvia! Because she was feet away from running into the street. You might say, Oh, Dad, you're being so judgmental. So judgmental against your daughter. But you know exactly why that dad was running as fast as he could to grab his daughter before she walked in the street. It was out of love. And that's exactly what the word of God is to us. It's a father's message saying this is how you ought to walk. Stop doing these things that are not in line with my plan for your life and to reach out in love to a world that's groping in darkness, like Jesus said, sheep without a shepherd. So how do we judge without condemning? Let me give you some points as we close. Believe that the Bible defines the standard and content of godly, discerning, loving judgment. It's right here in God's Word. This is our guide. We're not ashamed of the Bible. In fact, we believe it unapologetically. Here's the second thing gain a deep understanding of the love and mercy of God that led to your salvation. If you know how much God loves you, if you understand how much God forgave you, then your heart is so ready to be graciously reaching out to a world lost in, in sin instead of having a condemning heart. Thirdly, seek to build a legacy of edifying and encouraging others to live more like Jesus. May that be true of the entire culture here at Riverview that every time you come, you sense a congregation longing to encourage you, longing to edify you to be more like Jesus. And lastly, remember that God alone is the final righteous judge. That if there are issues in your life that are hard to understand, hard to deal with, hard to forgive, have the strength to say, God, I leave them with you. You are a better justice maker than I am. I will live a life of faith 
trusting you. Amen, church? Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer this morning. And as your hearts are bowed in prayer, allow the Holy Spirit to just speak into your life. Is your heart one of grace and forgiveness and love? Or are you filled with condemnation, judgmental, a critical spirit? If you have that critical spirit inside you, God wants to change you. He wants you to be more like Him. Lord, I thank you that you are a God that pours out amazing grace into our lives every day. And Lord, we know you still hate sin. You've given us the plan. You've given us the path. May we love your plan. May we love your path. Your plan is perfect. And so, Lord, we know you're here with us now. Our desire is to be more like you here at Riverview Church. We want to honor you in everything we do. And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'll stand and sing this song. Praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore. For endless days we will sing Your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. We've elders up front who love to pray with you about anything going on in your life. Please sign up for whatever you need to sign up for and live this week all for him. God bless you. See you on the patio.